Uber Eats, Skip the Dishes, and many others, we're seeing more and more about meal delivery for restaurants. What does this mean for consumers, restaurants, the food service landscape generally? Is this fundamentally changing how we eat or just giving us more choice? Welcome to the Food Focus Podcast. I'm Mike Von Massa. In today's episode, I speak with Andrew Coppolino, a food writer and food columnist for CBC KW, among other things, about the growth in restaurant delivery and the future of food service. This is the first of hopefully many conversations, and I hope the next one is in one of Andrew's favorite noodle places. I enjoyed this conversation, and I know you will too. Well, Andrew, thanks for taking the time to come speak to me. I'm looking forward to it. My pleasure. Good to be here. So, what I thought we'd take the opportunity to talk about today is food delivery. I know you've written about it. I know Mm. you've spent some time thinking about it. We're seeing you know, a move away from the traditional Chinese food and pizza to everything being delivered. And, mm-hmm. and is that a good thing? I think it's 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 a simplistic thing to say that it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. It's a yeah. pretty complex little environment I've discovered. I've done it a few times. Yeah. I'm not particularly sold on it. Um, I'm also very pro-restaurant. I like to go to restaurants and support them in that way. But I think what's interesting for me is the polarized kind of uh, attitude that restaurants have about it. Yeah. You've got some people that are really on board with it and they just throw themselves right into it right away, even though they're paying 30% for the yes. every cost. And other guys, uh, restaurateurs that have small chains, uh, they're saying, no, it's sort of changing the industry landscape for us. We're telling people to stay away and not come to the restaurant. So they're not so sh- they're not so certain about it, and I don't and I'm not sure it's a, it's a black and white issue at all. It's right down the middle, I think, where there are some people that really like it, and others that say, no, it's not for me, it's not for my business. One guy I talked to recently just despises it, but he can't see giving up the revenue. He just sees there's so much so much revenue coming in. These are extra customers that are getting access to his food and ordering it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Another restaurateur I talked to ha- recently has three or four restaurants in the region, and he says, no way, uh, I'm not paying that. I don't want to train people to stay at home and eat. I want them to come to my restaurant. So it's a kind of an interesting, I guess, for my thinking, it's, it's kind of like the old algorithm. I mean, it disrupts everything in our society, and it's disrupting the way we eat. Yeah, as well. So, so it's interesting, and, and and you anticipated where I was going to go. So, let's leave the customer for a second and, and talk more about the restaurant because I couldn't agree with you more that I think there are some circumstances within which it can be good for a restaurant. But I've talked to restaurateurs who say, yes, it might be incremental business, but it's incremental business when I'm full, and so my kitchen is getting slammed at dinner time, and then the Uber Eats. Yeah. iPad is is ringing, and so I'm compromising the customer experience in the restaurant in order to meet that. So, so if I could use it to spread demand and say, if people on Uber Eats or Skip the Dishes or whatever would order <laughs> between the lunch rush and the dinner rush, it'd be it'd be perfect. But if I'm a busy restaurant with a busy kitchen, you hear some of these guys start to say, "Oh, I'm going to shut off." Uber Eats when I'm busy so that I don't compromise the experience. Oh, I think that's exactly right. I mean, one uh, one restaurateur I talked to said the same thing, that it throws a monkey wrench into the works of a smoothly flowing kitchen lunch service or dinner service. And uh, if you've ever done one of those, yeah. uh, I have, and yeah. in a past life, you know, you like to get a rhythm going and you want to keep things going, get those tickets out and, yeah. and get things finished up for the night. If you have this sort of oddball 
you know, factor coming in yeah. with, the, with the Uber Eats or whatever, it can really upset the rhythm, the pattern of the kitchen. Things start to go a little bit south. And the bad thing about it, too, I think, is that a lot of chefs and restaurant owners, they don't like the fact that they can't really communicate with their customers if something does go wrong. So if they sacrifice quality, if there is a problem with the order, yeah. they don't get to sort of sort it out with that customer. It's, it's up to the delivery company to sort it out. And you lose that access and they don't like losing access to their customers. They don't like being able to correct problems or explain what happened and make it better for them. So I think restaurants are struggle with, you know, how to make it all fit together in a, in a nice uh, compact way. Well, and the, the other thing about managing quality of the experience, let alone quality of the experience in the dining room, mm-hmm. but you have no control over how that food gets to that customer. And you, and you can't, you know, the friend of mine has a restaurant in Toronto and he said, I looked and this thing was going to go 45 minutes away into Scarborough from the West end of Toronto. And he goes, that's not going to be, some food just doesn't travel well. Right. I mean, a and, pack of fries is yeah. going to be miserable after 45 minutes. Yeah. And and so doing your brand some harm, and it's interesting. So, so there's lots of challenges, not least the significant margin that a restaurant is giving up. If it's incremental business, you might argue, well, they're covering their, they're covering their overhead with the base, but 20 or 30%, which is what Uber Eats is yep. generally taking from a restaurant business that's probably working on four, you know, a successful restaurant, maybe up to 10 or 12%. Mm-hmm. That's tough to do. I think so. And I don't think they've really seen many years of meal deliveries, you know, adding up. They, yeah. We don't know what the long-term picture yeah. is here. The short-term, you like it's like you say, oh, maybe 10 more people out of 100 are learning about what my restaurant is and they're going to come back here now that they've had the, the delivery experience. Yeah. I don't know that we've got numbers that can back that up in any kind yeah. of a way. I don't know what the long-term effects uh, that the restaurateur that I was talking to is, owns a fairly popular and very well-heeled, let's say, yeah. uh, set of restaurants and he just doesn't want to change the environment for his guests and he thinks that the meal delivery kit, uh, apps are, are changing that. And so it'll be interesting, I think, over the next four or five years, and it's certainly more your field than it is mine, yeah. to look at trends and to do some number crunching yeah. and find out quantitatively what's going on. But I have a feeling that it's going to be, although it's increasingly popular right now, I think people are going to be more guarded about it, I guess, and, and the way they use it in the future, too. So do you have a sense from restaurant? Because I spoke to restaurateurs who say, no, I'm just not going to do it. We may do pickup where we control it, and then we can look that customer in the eye, and they know how long it's yeah. going to they don't know how long it's going to sit. Do you have a sense for whether restaurants are seeing a decrease in volume or if this is a customer that wasn't going to eat at a restaurant and is just now, instead of cooking at home or instead of buying, you know, the wings mm-hmm. at the front of the grocery store or right, whatever, right. do you have a sense of, or it's probably varies by restaurant? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think most people that I've talked to, the majority have said it's a necessary evil yeah. and they have to be part of it. That if they're, restaurant isn't on that app yeah. then that customer who's never been to their restaurant before is going to go to another restaurant that does have the app and he'll he or she will never get that business so yeah. i i think they're thinking that they have to participate and it's only the rare ones that have really full-bodied dynamic business models that can avoid using them. small guys i think have to be participating yeah it's interesting and i i wondered I spoke to someone yesterday and, and was talking about who does it and who doesn't do it. And mm-hmm. and I think it depends on what kind of restaurant you are to a significant degree. If you are, you know, something relatively unique, 
and either have a clientele that's regular, you're a local and, and this is where we go, or if you are a restaurant that is unique and people go there to have that specific experience, mm-hmm. you can probably get away with not being on there. Sure, but, I think so. But, but if you are a more of a generic, right, you know, not a differentiated restaurant, then you have more risk associated with where you, I mean, if you're another roadhouse, and there's, mm-hmm. I, I eat at roadhouses, I don't mind, but if you, but they are relatively interchangeable. Mm-hmm. I think and, so. And so in that circumstance, you may have to be more because there's a higher likelihood that someone will pick something else. Right. Whereas if you are a specific experience, then people want to eat from you, right. they'll figure it out. I think a lot of restaurateurs and chefs, probably more chefs than restaurateurs, the actual yeah. person doing the cooking thinks this kind of a dish can't be delivered. It doesn't yeah. work to get there. This kind of a dish can. Something yeah. that's got a liquid in it that yeah. detains some heat yeah. that has some integrity 30 minutes, a half an hour, or 45 minutes later. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are some things that just don't work. We mentioned the French fries. They just don't work, you know. Yeah. And I, I know one uh, restaurant delivery guy who has created, has, has gone through great ends to find the right kind of bun yeah. so that his hamburger can make it 30 minutes down the road without just deteriorating yeah, into just, mush, you know. Yeah. So I think for a lot of restaurants, I think what they're thinking now is, is my business well represented by this, even if I gave up the money, even for the money? Yeah. That is, if 80% of the time, my product, because of its nature, the nature, the quality of the food, the ingredients, when it gets to the end user, is it edible? Is it yeah. palatable? Is it something that's going to give pleasure? You know, yeah. and I'm just reflecting on using that word, end user. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are talking about food. Yeah. When you put it in the context of an app, we talk about end, end user. It's really, it's really awful. Actually. Well, it, but, it, it, but it gets exactly to what I was going to ask you next, because... It's interesting. We're doing some work here, and it's not related to food delivery, but it's actually a project where we're looking at 10 restaurants that had tipping, stopped having Mm. tipping, and we wanted to see if the customer experience changed. So we looked at average reviews before and after Mm -hmm. and the variability of reviews, and then we did a content analysis to say, what were people saying? So did it come up qualitatively in the reviews? And what was interesting is we looked at what seemed to be the things that resonated with people the most. And food is often not the first thing. Hmm. And so, you know, it's the service, yeah. it's the environment, it's, frankly, it's the entire experience. experience. You know, and, and, and food might not be first because we expect it to be good, right? It's a little bit table stakes and it's the other things. And you lose that. I think one of the first things you said is you don't use it a whole bunch mm-hmm. uh, because you like the experience. I like the experience of going out. I like to see the kitchen. I like to see, you know, it's just, activity. It's activity. So and it's, it's a social and it's, activity. It's a social activity. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so you lose that a little bit. So how many times have you ever gone to a restaurant and you've said to yourself, you know, the food was really mediocre, but I felt like I was, I was wanted there. Yeah. They, they wanted me to be there. We had a great time. I'll probably go back again. And compare it to a time when you go to a restaurant, you had, you know, really miserable service, even though the food was good. You sort of think, well, do they want me there? Do they care that I'm yeah. there? So what's the better experience? Ask, I ask that a lot. Yeah. I, I used to review restaurants for, for the newspaper. And mm. a lot of times, you know, I'm thinking, boy, they really cared that I was there. They didn't know I was doing it anonymously, yeah. of course, but I could tell that the customer was important. Yeah. Maybe they blew a couple dishes. Maybe the food wasn't perfect. But it's the kind of restaurant that I'd say, you know what, if I'm going to spend 150 bucks with my with my spouse or whatever, yeah. that's the place I'm going to go to. Yeah. So I think that... We uh, will forgive a mistake right. on food right. more than we'll forgive service. Right. And I we, think you're And we'd like to see how they repair it. 
Yeah. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do this for yeah. you, sir. You know, here's take it off the bill. Here's yeah. a special dessert. Blah blah blah. And I think that I think that's all lost with uh, with meal yeah. uh, delivery apps. I don't think you get that. Uh, you know, you can go to Uber and you can go to Uber Eats and you can go to Foodora and yeah. Hello, whatever whatever the other yeah. ones are, and say, okay, I had this problem. Well, I don't think you're going to get the same kind of response. And if you were talking to the chef owner of that restaurant, yeah. and he or she is going to correct it for you and wants you to come back as a customer. So that'd be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So so we're, we're here, we're seeing growth. How do you think we're going to see it evolve? How is it going to change? That's a good question. So, I don't really know. I mean, I think that, I think with all of these things, and I wish I could be more... Yeah. scientific or intellectual about it, but that when we have a technology, it usually is somewhat beyond our grasp to use to its fullest and to use properly. There seems to be a gap, a lag yeah. period, before we sort of catch up to the technology with all the other yeah. variables that are in a business. So I think I think that's what I'm going to be looking for over the next four or five years as these things become more prominent, as their growth continues. How do they adapt? Are customers willing to to put up with the problems that are involved? Are restaurants willing to put up with the problems that are involved? Where do those three, two or three things line up? Yeah. Come to some sort of a focal point uh, for for future growth. So I I don't know how we're going to see it play out. And I guess I've used them a couple times. Yeah. And I can certainly see value if if my wife was sick or mm. my daughter was sick and yeah. we were trying to have a family meal. Ordering in is great, you know, yeah. and I can see it for people who are shut-ins, for yeah. people that don't want to go out in public, who are immobile yeah. because of whatever malady they might yeah. have. Uh, maybe it's a, mo- a single mom with, yeah. or a single dad with hundred, you know, hundreds of tasks to do yeah. and four of kids to, to yeah. take care of. Order in. I can see all of that working and making complete sense. So but that they seem to be the anomalies in, yeah. to me. They're the outliers. And there's a cost associated with delivery, right? You're oh, paying, I yeah. mean, not only, not only yeah. are... are the restaurant's paying a margin, but there is a cost associated with it for the consumer as well. So Sure, and if restaurants are struggling to keep their food prices down, now we're thinking about the center of the plate protein. Yeah. You know, that chunk of meat suddenly is way more expensive than yeah. we've ever experienced before. So they're going to try to keep their costs down. They're going to make that piece of meat just a slightly bit smaller, but they're going to charge a little bit more. Yeah. Then you have to pay a little bit more for it, and then you have to pay a little bit more on top of that for delivery. So suddenly yeah. eating, eating a meal from a restaurant, takes on a different yeah so, kind of so it's gonna it, it does sort of select the type of restaurant you can right that, that you can do it effectively so it becomes a smaller chunk right, right. you're not going to order breakfast from the local diner that's going to cost you 499 and then pay another 499 right, or whatever exactly. for delivery right one of the things I was recently in Kansas City with a group of students and I saw this kind of a clever name it was called cluster truck <laughs> you say that very carefully <laughs> and it was Kansas City's quote unquote first all delivery kitchen. So they were saying there is a specific customer who wants delivery. And I think the cluster truck was because they had several different sort of themes. So you could get different kinds of food. They made it in a commissary. So they were in a lower rent district. They didn't have the floor space of a dining room to pay for. And they weren't worried about keeping customers who were in a dinner rush happy. They were all about driving delivery, but in a different model. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit like the Chinese restaurant that has maybe two seats at the front and is, or the pizza restaurant, two seats at the front, and the rest is just driven. Banging out 400 pizzas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so I wonder if that might evolve a little bit more. I think so. I, I think that's probably that sort of ghost kitchen idea. 
yeah. where there's there's nobody there at the front of the house. It's just a bunch of cooks in the back, and they're making dinners for maybe four or five different restaurants. What if a restaurateur could say, here's the recipe, here's the ingredients I want you to use, and when it comes from this order point, this is going to be, you know, Mike and Andrew's kitchen. Yeah. And it's going to be my food that's going out, but you're making it. If you could do that, multiply that across four or five different kinds of brands. Yeah. That could be a very economical way to. That's, to sell that's interesting because I hadn't thought. I, I thought about oh, I'm the owner and I just do several different. But oh. if I contract, right, you know, license from right. this restaurant, you get the and then I get the opportunity to leverage my brand, my experience without slamming my kitchen at right. the same time. That's, yeah, that's and, interesting. But it brings up another bunch of factors for me, and that's the sort of the transparency of food. You don't even know who's preparing your food. You don't know that it's, it's not may not you may not even know it's not coming from a, a sort yeah. of a ghost kitchen. And so it brings up some interesting kind of conundrums, I guess, and questions. But I, I certainly think that uh, maybe in the in the era of driverless cars and yeah. sort of when the cost of all of that kind of stuff comes down, you know, what are the possibilities for having like robots making food uh, yeah. and, and schlepping out dinners? And uh, so I think the, the technology, again, is way ahead of our grasp. Yeah. But as we catch up to understanding it, I think the potential there is huge for some business to be done, some money to be made, and uh, people to be served, uh, probably in, a, in an economical way. Yeah, for a specific kind of customer. I right. Think. I sure. think, I think because I think there, the conversation I had yesterday, I finished by saying, I'm not sure this technology is fundamentally changing the industry. It's just giving people more options. Sure. And so there's always been someone, you know, with the characteristics that you talked about, or even someone who says, gets home at the end of the day, geez, I just don't want to cook. And they either had to go out or they had to get something and prepare it. And now they have the delivery option so that it, it may take from several different segments, but it's not a new type of customer. It's just a customer who wasn't effectively served. Before. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's uh, that's the job of technology, maybe, is to find those little niches yes. and fill them. Yeah. And I think that more and more restaurants will be, if they're smart and if they target the way they're uh, maybe setting up a special delivery menu that is easier to pump out quickly out of the kitchen and also is sustainable over 35 minutes, they might then find that they could build a whole new clientele. It's separate from the regular customer who comes in for you know a proper steak dinner with the sides and table service and the experience and the experience. experience. And, the experience. Yeah. and and so I'm yeah. not convinced that we'll ever see the experience go away. No, I, I guess as long as the costs stay within people's uh, ranges, right? Yeah. I mean, the costs are expensive and they do go high, but you know, I think I think that's why we don't have fine dining anymore. Yeah. Right? All the dining has been brought down to sort of a more middle level so that you can get that experience at a reasonable price. That experience is important to a lot of people. And you're right, I don't think that's going to change. But I think we'll probably see the people who don't care about that experience being served better in the future by a ghost kitchen or a, yeah. or a food app. It's interesting. interesting you say. So I guess I hadn't thought about it, but fine dining exists, but much less than it used to. Yeah. And, White and tablecloths, where are they? Yeah. I mean... So what killed fine dining? We're off topic, but I'm, I'm interested. So what killed fine dining? Was, was fine dining killed by price? They're too expensive and not accessible to enough people? Or did casual dining get better? And, you know, they up the service. They offer way more diversity. There are just more choices out there. Sure. 
And I think that I think the demographic has changed a little bit too. So there was a sort of a '50s '60s diner who came through the Great Steakhouse era yeah. and the American dining experience. Yeah. Uh, my maybe my parents, yeah. they don't dine out anymore. Yeah. Kids coming through now, they're looking for a more simplistic kind of way of eating. They're looking for something that's more authentic, less ostentatious, less pretentious. They're willing to pay yeah. money for local food, for food yeah. that's sort of got a story behind it and all yeah. of that stuff. And I think with the upscale casual yeah. element has grown, that that tier or that sector has grown and increased. And it sort of absorbed a lot right. of the finer elements of dining without yeah. the huge costs. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of those things. And as I said earlier, you know... It's not reductive, can be reduced to one factor. Yes. I think there's a whole bunch of factors coming into this. And I think the costs got out of control, but also I think it's a changing demographic that has said, I don't want to eat like this. I want to eat more simply. I want to eat more comfortably. I want to be able to eat what I want. Those are all the factors that have yeah. made the apps. And I want to eat something, and I want to eat something interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I look again to my son who lives in downtown Toronto, and, and he eats out a fair bit. He's a young guy. Right first great job and but he doesn't go fine dining he goes oh i found this really good place in chinatown for noodles yeah uh, filipino restaurant dad you're gonna have to come eat this at this dumpling place it's unbelievable and and so to him the real pleasure is in that variety right and i think in my in my experience when i started doing restaurant reviews there were fewer of those kinds of restaurants and we would always pick to upscale casual to the finer end of yeah. dining and that wasn't necessarily what i wanted to eat but that was what was there that yeah. was what you could write about but now with influxes of the people from all over the world and the sort of the receptivity i think for north americans to eat cuisines from all over yeah. the world we're finding many more of these restaurants and there's just the variety there. And why would you? You can go out and get a world full of flavor in a bowl of noodles, yeah. you know, for 12 bucks. I feel yeah. guilty sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah, when I eat yeah, it. You know? Exactly. And these noodles are handmade and they've, yeah. they've sourced all this great food. And yeah. so we're lucky right now. We're in an era where we have the world sort of on our table, on our plate. Yeah. Uh, even in a small city, you can get 18, yeah, 10 accessible. different. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that's played into the, the delivery app as well because those are businesses that can pump their food out quickly and their food travels well and it becomes a completely different dining experience because it's really just a bowl here or a bowl there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about the white tablecloth. You you don't need that. You don't need the elaborate courses. And And, and, and to a degree, you want that real experience, right? So the last question I have for you is, we've not only seen an increase in restaurant delivery, we've seen an increase in grocery store delivery and we've seen these meal kits which sort of come somewhere in between the two. Is there this this real desire for us to eat more at home or what's driving this? I think, think there is. I think there's a desire for people to stay at home. I think there is a lot of people who like to go out, but I think those same people like to balance that out. They like to be at home as well. So let's not forget that preparing a meal at home is a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, thinking about the menu going and shopping for it, bringing it home, unloading it, preparing all the food, cooking all the food, eating the food, putting the dishes away, cleaning up afterwards. Holy smokes, it's a lot of work. And I think that those meal delivery kits that come that bring food to your home, they take away five or six of those steps yeah. and they make it a lot quicker. And I think for, for some people, it's a way to experience new food without, oh, gee, what am I going to do with a pheasant? Or what am I going to do with some kind of fish? It's unique, new, different food that they would might be afraid of trying themselves by yeah. going to the grocery store and having to break down part of an animal or clean a whatever, you know, in a certain way to be able to cook it. So I think it's... It's probably part and parcel, too, of, a, of a, an economy and a sociological perspective that we have now where it's 
I don't want to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. I want to. I want simplicity. I want. I don't want to do work. I'm kind of lazy, maybe. I like my computer. I don't yeah. want to be distracted by the things I really like to do. And food for some people is a distraction, right? Yeah. And if they can get some decent food and they can get it quickly and it can come easily and seamlessly and they can put it together in 15 minutes, that's going to be attractive. To I, 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 I I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the other thing that, that's there is for some people, it's just a distraction. But there are also people who just don't have the skill and who'd like to sort of spend more time thinking about it. And I've talked to, I've spoken to some people who say, well, we do it. And we're doing these HelloFresh or, or whoever, and we're keeping the recipes. Yeah. And and it's a way for my partner or whoever who's, who's scared of cooking to learn. And because the instructions are there. And then maybe next time we'll try it without. And that must be a great deal because when you think about the couple of commercials that I can readily access yeah. uh, is, is precisely saying that, that I don't know what this kind of meat is, yeah. but I'm looking forward to cooking it. So they're yeah. making it into like something that we engage in couple by couple or a group yeah. of people doing it or families or whatever. Yeah. So they're sure. And again, you know, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I think it's complex and mixed up and it has a rule for, uh, for every different uh, application. Yeah. You know, one of the things I thought about it was that it was it's very wasteful. I've done it on two occasions, and there's all this packaging yeah. and stuff you have to throw away. But then I just heard, some, heard a radio report recently, and they said that it actually isn't that bad, that they're they're able to calculate that it's not all that bad. So, again, these things are so new, I think, that we really don't know. Yeah, this is the paper you're referring to. It's right here <laughs> on my desk. Well, I figured and, you and would Michigan, have it. Michigan <laughs> State... Said that meal kits versus grocery store because of the amount of waste in a home. Yeah. So depending on what you do in your home, it's probably variable. I'm the same way. I haven't tried a meal kit. I have to say my wife is mm-hmm. is resistant, but one of my research associates has been experimenting with it and wrote actually wrote a couple of blog posts saying the shelf promotion. Look at foodfocusguelph.ca, and he was concerned about the amount of the number of freezer packs in yeah, it, and that was, right. and you know, the boxes and, and things like that. But what and, about the cost? I mean, if you think about, if I could take 150 bucks to the grocery store and shop with it, I could get probably a lot of good groceries, especially yes. if I'm careful, right? Yes. What's a meal package coming from your house to your house for four or five people? If you wanted to do that three or four times a week to feed your family, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that it would be that way more than more 150 expensive. bucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, I think you're right. It's my perception. I'm actually going to experiment with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'll. And we'll look at it. I, I spoke to someone who actually did it for work, who explored it, worked for a grocery store. And she said that she thought because she was throwing less food out, because the portions were, were really very specific, she thought it was comparable. And she wasn't happy telling me that because she works in the grocery retail industry, but she thought it was comparable. And I think that Mark felt much the same way. So I think it depends on what you're cooking and what you're buying at home and how good you are at repurposing and making yeah. sure you're using everything. Yeah. So anything before I thank you and, and, and wrap up, anything, sort of any last thoughts on restaurant food delivery, things I didn't ask you or that we didn't talk uh, about? I, I wouldn't necessarily slot it into restaurant yeah. food delivery. What I would say is, Whenever you're dealing with food, I think the key for me is that you think about what it is you're doing. 
why you're doing it, why you're ordering from the restaurant, why yeah. you're ordering at the restaurant, why you're ordering a meal kit for delivery. And there's just, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's lots of other factors. And I think if it satisfies, you know, 80% of the sort of things that you want, then good. Mm-hmm. But if you can look at it and you think, oh, I'm not really happy with this, then I think you should ask why. Because maybe there's an alternative and maybe for you, this isn't the right thing to do. And therefore, you know, you're not really contributing to improving our, our sort of meal and food system here in, yeah. in Ontario in Canada. Yeah. So in 20 years, when I'm going to invite you out for dinner, will <laughs> we have places to go? They'll be different, I think. Yeah. I think they're going to be very different. Yeah. I think they'll be very different. I think they're already getting different. I think we're already seeing some of those changes where more menus are more limited, where food is more of a factor. I think there's going to be way less sort of protein that we know yeah. it on, on, the, on the plate. And I have, a, have no doubt that restaurants will become more barren in terms of people. I think yeah. there are going to be uh, far fewer people working in restaurants than there used to be. I think there's probably going to be robots eventually doing tasks and chores that we would have given to, to kids. I mean, you know, dishwashers and stuff yes. like that. Yeah. It'll be interesting. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because, you know, we can't just be a leisure society, right? I mean, there's just not going to be enough for us. A million Canadians work in, yeah. in, food, and in food service. Billions of dollars worth of, of our economy, too. Good. Andy Coppolino, thanks for your time. we wrap up another episode of Food Focus, I thought I would just take a quick moment to thank Molly Gallant, who really does the heavy lifting in producing this podcast. She does all the hard work. I get to have the interesting discussions. Thank Zachary Von Massow for the original music. Before we go, I'd like to remind you again about our foodfocusguelph.ca website. Check out our blog, updated at least weekly. Check out previous versions of the podcast. Check out our trends report. And get in touch with us, foodfocus at uoguelph.ca. We'd love to have you send us comments, ideas, suggestions, and just to interact and hear what you're thinking about. Finally, if you like the podcast, please take a moment to rate us wherever you get your podcast as this helps other people find us. So thanks again. Hope you enjoyed it and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.